This weekend, we are headed to the book of First Thessalonians. We're going to wrap up this book by looking at First Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13, all the way through First Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 11. So now, God, as we open up the word, would you open our hearts and our minds to receive whatever it is that you want to say to us? Would you inspire us? Would you challenge us? Would you encourage us, convict us if we need it? And may we leave today uh, a bit closer to you as we engage with the scriptures. Amen. From the moment you were born, your death has walked beside you. Though it seldom shows its face, you still feel its empty touch. When fear invades your life, or what you love is lost, or inner damage is incurred. Yet when destiny draws you into these spaces of poverty, and your heart stays generous until some door opens into the light, you are quietly befriending your death, so that you will have no need to fear when your time comes to turn and leave. That the silent presence of your death would call your life to attention, wake you up to how scarce your time is, and to the urgency to become free and equal to the call of your destiny. That you would gather yourself and decide carefully how now you can live the life you love to look back on from your deathbed. Those words are from the Irish poet John O'Donohue. It's called Death, and he writes of the inevitable. I spent a lot of my, my life, particularly my earlier years, fearing dying being afraid of walking into that place. There were moments that I would, I would walk into a hospital to visit someone and I would feel the anxiety creeping in because I saw it not as a place of healing but as a place of death. I think if we're honest, most of us here today or watching online have this bizarre relationship with dying. On the one end, there is, there is fear and discomfort at even the thought. And then on the very other end, there is this almost obsession with it. Video games that glorify incessant murder, television series filled with, with dying. Today's passage from the book of First Thessalonians chapter 4 and then into chapter 5, center on death. But, but the passage itself is a, is a response to a very specific question that the congregation in the city of Thessalonica are asking the Apostle Paul to address. The question is, not only what happens to us as followers of Christ— after we die, 
But more specifically, what happens to believers who die before Christ returns? Now, now the passage we're going to read in a moment, many in the Christian world want to, to make this passage about the end times and the second coming of Christ. And, and while this passage does touch on that, the passage that we're going to read really is about living well and dying hopeful. Because in Christ, death has been defeated, so we can actually befriend the experience because it is a doorway into eternal life. First Thessalonians chapter 4, beginning in verse 13. The Apostle Paul is writing and he says, Brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again. And so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. According to the Lord's word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel and the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Now this question was pertinent to this specific church because many in the congregation were converts from paganism. In their specific pagan faith, death was the end. There was no afterlife. There was no eternal life. And so there was this, this fear. Do we simply evaporate into nothingness? Because that's what was believed in many of the religions in Thessalonica, that it just kind of ends. But, but now they've been converted to Christianity. And so the question is, what is the future for those of us following Christ after we die, and more specifically, what is the fate of those who die before Christ returns? And so in this series of passages, the Apostle Paul is addressing these, these questions of death, and he, and he begins, quite frankly, by stating that death is inevitable. Like, it's coming. Brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death. You're going to die. Aren't you glad you came to church today? (laughs) It's the one place in which we all have equal footing. Whether it's me, or Jeff Bezos, the billionaire of Amazon, Michael Jordan, Elon Musk, every president or world leader that's ever lived, Mother Teresa or Adolf Hitler? Every one of us experience death. Which is a a humbling reality if you think about it for, for a moment. I mean, we don't like to think about it. Most people don't spend time thinking about death. It's something far off in the future, right? We don't want to acknowledge it. But we have these moments, these glimmers, these glimpses in which we're reminded 
of the fate of every human being. Years ago, I was in the city of London, and I visited the famous Westminster Cathedral, Westminster Abbey. I didn't know much about Westminster Abbey. It's a beautiful cathedral. But what I discovered when I visited is there are a lot of famous people buried in that cathedral. Mary, Queen of the Scots, is buried there. The famous author Charles Dickens is buried in that cathedral. The world-famous Dr. Livingston, the missionary, in which the term was coined, Miss Dr. Livingston, I presume, all buried in that cathedral. Some of the tombs are actually in the floor in which you walk over them, which I don't know if that's sacrilegious or not, but that's how it's done there. And I was observing the beauty of this cathedral, and I was kind of looking around, and then I looked down, and I realized that I was standing on the burial place of Charles Darwin, like the Charles Darwin, the one that introduced the theory of evolution. As I stood there, and, and it, was, it was kind of shocking because I've, you, know, you read about Charles Darwin in school, and you've heard, but to stand over the grave and realize, regardless of our philosophy or our worldview, we're all destined to experience the same thing, and we're all destined to end up in the ground. Aren't you encouraged this evening? As I speak to you, roughly a hundred million of my cells and my body will die. There is no cure for death. Though one in eight people believe they are immortal, we try and fight it with creams and lifts and dyes and freezing. Uh, on, on Monday of this week, we were sitting out on the, the back porch of my house. It was my, my two kids and my daughter's home from school, so the band's all back together again, and we were all sitting outside. It was beautiful out, and I'm sitting on the chair. My daughter got up to get something, and she looked down at me on the top of my head, and she said, wow, Dad, you've got a lot of gray hair. I'm a little closer to death than I was 20 or 30 years ago. One of the values of our, our church is that we are all real people with real problems and, and real questions. And so the question from today's text really is, what do we do with death? And the tension that we experience as followers of Christ between needing to experience death in order to go to that place that we long for, heaven, the afterlife, and at the very same time, fear, because many of us love this life, there are things we want to experience, and there is still in every single one of us this sense of uncertainty. So, so when I think about, about death, I think there's some, some bad news, some sad news, and some good news, and I'll give it to you in that order. The bad news is, every one of us sitting in this room will die in the 21st century, there will be no exceptions, every single one of us. The bad news is that we have become afraid and at the same time desensitized to that one fact. If I told you, if you went into your doctor on Tuesday and they told you that you had one month to live, one of the first emotions that we would probably experience would be fear. 
It's challenging news. 20 years ago, I was misdiagnosed by a doctor with a degenerative bone disease and not having it. But when I was misdiagnosed with that, I'll never forget the day I received a phone call from the nurse. And I don't know what HIPAA laws are full. I don't know what nurses are supposed to say and not say. But the nurse called me and said, we've got your test results back. We think you have this disease. And it is a horrible, this is what she said, it's a horrible disease. It could mean that your spinal column could collapse on itself. Your neck could break, your back. And I'm like freaking out. She said, I've seen someone else die this way. It's horrible. Like, you need to go back to school and learn sensitivity training here. I was terrified when this nurse explained to me what she thought was happening to me. I ended up not having said disease as I'm here standing here without a collapsed spine, but it was terrifying. I was afraid. Then on the far other end, we've become so desensitized because we watch death all the time. There's a series of films, maybe you've seen them. They center around a character named John Wick. There's John Wick 1, John Wick 2, and John Wick 3. And and 4. Well, I've only... I've seen 2, which I don't think I should even admit that to you based on what I'm about to say about it. But in John Wick 1, John Wick kills 77 people. In John Wick 2, he's a bit more productive. He kills 128 people. And then in John Wick 3, he backs it off a little bit and only kills 94 people. And I sit there with my popcorn and my slushy. Oh, don't judge me, because you, you do the same thing. You're looking at me like, you're a horrible person. Why would, you, any TV show you watch, you know it's true. We've become desensitized to it. See, see death in Scripture is first introduced as an enemy. Writing in the book of 1 Corinthians, the apostle Paul says this in chapter 15. For he, speaking of Christ, must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. There's some bad news, but there's some sad news because death is loss. When we die, we are separated from those that we love And it's sad and it's hard because we as human beings were created for connection. And so there's that sense of loss. It's it's sad. Just this week, uh, the theologian, author, and pastor Timothy Keller passed away. Maybe you're familiar with the name or some of his writings. But he was kind of one of my heroes of the faith, a man that finished well, a man of integrity, a thinker, um, a theologian. But he's gone, and I'll never hear his voice or teaching again except for recordings and there's a sense of sadness. I served a church years ago. In that church we served mostly the military community. Many of the congregants in my congregation were army or air force. This was during the time of the second Iraq war and I'd become friends with many military families. Uh, One in particular because he was related to a staff of mine was an army lawyer. His name was Mike so there's Obviously, an immediate connection there. All the greats are named Mike. And so we, uh, we, we started to form this friendship, and he was sent to Iraq to uh, 
to help the Iraqis reestablish a sense of law in that country. And the night before he was deployed, I was at his brother's home. We were together. Our families were together. And I have this image of him. The last image I have of him is he's sitting downstairs with my daughter, who at the time was about four, and she was sitting with him watching Cinderella. And the next morning, he was deployed to Iraq to serve. And several months later, we received a notification from the army that he'd been killed in a Black Hawk crash. And there was this deep sense of sadness and loss and separation. I was asked to perform his funeral. And as I, I sat there in that army cathedral, there was this, this sense of mourning because of the separation. But there's also some good news. Because the Apostle Paul goes on to write in that same letter to the Corinthian church, but we're confident. I say, and please, because to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. See, when, when we turn back to our main text for today, First Thessalonians, the Apostle Paul is writing about death for the sake of the living, not for the sake of the dead. He's, he's writing on it for those that are still here. So, so I believe that in Christ, because of what Christ has already done, we can actually befriend death, the thing that used to be the enemy. But because of Christ, we discover this. Back again to 1 Corinthians. I'm jumping back and forth here. For our dying bodies must be transformed into bodies that will never die. Our mortal bodies must be transformed into immortal bodies. Then when our dying bodies have been transformed into bodies that will never die, this is what the scripture says. Death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? Because of Christ, the sting has been removed and death now, for those of us in Christ, is equated with, with, with victory. Jesus has defeated death, and so in Christ we can now welcome death as a friend because it is a transition point from this life to eternal life. What the scriptures call the new heaven and in the new earth. And so today my, my hope is that maybe we can start to be okay with what it is that's going to happen to all of us. And yet at the same time remembering that grief is universal. Brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death, so you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. That word uninformed, we don't want you to be uninformed, can literally mean I don't want you to be ignorant. I don't want you to be ignorant. So here's, here's what I don't want you to be ignorant about. Number one, you're going to grieve. We're all going to grieve. Grief is universal because we'll all experience loss. And if we have a soul, if we have a conscience, if we have a beating heart, there's going to be moments in our life in which we will grieve. Don't be ignorant of it. You will die and you will grieve. But we grieve differently. Now, yes, of course, our grief can be awkward. It can be awkward to try and comfort those who grieve. And we say well-intentioned, but sometimes stupid and hurtful things. I've heard in my losses, Mike, you know, you shouldn't grieve because they're in heaven. Isn't that better? 
Well, yeah, it's in heaven. I'm not grieving because they're in heaven. I'm grieving because of my loss. Or I've heard this, well, you know, my God must have needed them more in heaven than you needed them here. Really? Like, is God really that needy? God's got a lot more patience than I do. (laughs) You know why you grieve? You grieve because you love. We're created to love. Now, see, the Apostle Paul writes that we grieve differently because, again, remember, he's writing to a previously pagan audience. And in pagan grief, like, it was the end. You died and then you evaporated into, like, nothingness. This is all there is, these short years you get. And if this, all, if this is all there is, and yeah, grief is, is tough. It's partly why some believe that, that in this particular city, in the city of Thessalonica, they worshipped a Greek god named Dionysus, who was the god of wine. And they were known, these pagans were known to go and just get wasted and have orgies and do whatever they can to numb their pain and their grief because they had no hope. See, outside of Christ, there's, there was this sense of moral dullness and the addiction to wine was simply a way to dull the pain. And yeah, some things don't change. We do the same thing. Oh, we try to numb our grief with all kinds of things and sometimes fall into despair. And in the midst of our despair, we neglect the gift of living. Because even in our grief, We still have to live. We still live like those who have hope. Because look around. I mean, there's a lot of anxious insecurity swirling around in our world, isn't there? There's a lot of weird things happening in our world. There are things happening in our world that I never thought I'd see in my, my lifetime. And yet, hope in the face of death can serve as a witness I mean, hope is a characteristic of believers. I have hope in God because of what he's done. I have hope right now in what God has already done for me. And yes, I've had moments of grief, and I hate it when people say to me, Mike, you know, eventually you're going to move on. I don't want to move on, but I do want to move forward. I mean, there are still parts of those that I've lost that will cling to me. I don't know that I ever fully move on. I don't know that you ever fully move on, but you can move forward. That's what it means to grieve with hope. It means to keep moving forward, realizing that life in Christ is eternal. Back to our text, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 now. Now, brothers and sisters, about the times and dates, we do not need to write to you. Again, the question was about what do you... What do we do about those that died before Christ came back? For you know very well the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying peace and safety, destruction will come on them suddenly, and labor pains, like labor pains on a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you, brothers and sisters, are not in darkness, so this day should not surprise you like a thief. You are all children of the light and children of the day. We do not belong to the night or to the darkness. So then let us not be like others who are asleep, but let us be awake and sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk, get drunk at night. Again, a reference to the Greek god Dionysus. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, putting on faith and love as a breastplate. 
and the hope of salvation as a helmet. For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. He died so that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up, just as in fact you are doing. Things seem to be spiraling out of control. We look around at our world and it could seem as though God is lost to handle on things. But I'm reminded of the words of the Apostle Paul. He died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with him. Therefore, encourage each other and build each other up. I want to encourage you and build you up for a moment. See, your identity at least according to the scriptures, is that we are people of the light. You are children of the light and children of the day. Which means I can, in fact, live free from fear, certainty, and insecurity. Now, I get asked regularly, I'm like, aren't you worried? Aren't you worried about all this stuff that's going on in our world? Don't, aren't you afraid? Aren't you afraid at where this world is going, where our country is headed? Nope, I'm not. Not even a little bit. Oh, there are moments I get concerned and raise my eyebrows and go, wow, okay. But I'm not afraid. I'm not concerned. I'm not worried. Because I know the end of the story. I know the future. Maybe I'm a futurist. I'm going to predict the future for you. God wins. In the end. And listen, the future is more a relationship than it is a place. We get so obsessed about the place that we forget about the person. I mean, through history, we create these images of the afterlife, of of heaven and of hell. And we have these images of heaven that, that portray fat little babies on clouds playing harps. And that's heaven. And we have images of hell, like Dante in his Inferno was one of the first to introduce this idea of this burning inferno and these levels of hell. And C.S. Lewis, the author, describes hell as this gray city. We have all these images and concoctions. And, and really what the scripture says is, is heaven and hell is the difference between connection and separation from Christ. It's relationship more than it is place. And so for the next few moments that we have, have left, I, I, I don't think I could do justice to my, my conscience as a pastor without asking the question, am I prepared to die? When I would talk about death as a kid with my mom, her answer was always the same. Oh, Michael, that's a long way away. Well, now as I look in the mirror, it's not as long away as it used to be. The writer of the book of Hebrews says quite plainly, just as people are destined to die once and after that to face the judgment, so Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many and he will appear a second time, not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. So here's a a fact. I like facts. Facts are our friends. I am destined to die. And you are destined to die. Everyone agrees. Atheists, Christians, Muslims, everybody agrees. We're all going to die. 
every single one of us. But then the writer of Hebrews reminds us that, but then there's this thing called the judgment. We don't like to talk about that. It's a very uncomfortable. We're going to die, and then there's this, this judgment in which I will stand before a loving but a just and holy God. It is impossible to read the pages of the Bible without considering these things. It's impossible to skip over the parts of the Bible in which Jesus speaks about eternity with him or without him. And I'm not interested this evening in just tapping into someone's imagination or using fear tactics to get a response. People have imagined all kinds of things about heaven and hell for years and years and years. And so let's just stick with the language of the Bible. When the Bible describes eternity, when the Bible describes heaven, the new heavens and the earth, it uses words like life and no more pain and no more tears and you'll dwell with God forever and he will be your light. And when the Bible uses the word hell, it uses, uses the words like fire and darkness and separation to, to describe it. But the Apostle Paul also says, but remember, he died for us, for you. Whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with him. So therefore, encourage one another and build each other up. And so I'm encouraging you tonight. You're going to die and you're going to grieve, but there's hope in eternity, life in Christ. And because of that, I can live a life, a full life right now. But to live a full life right now, I think it's really important to create space in our life for eternal things. To not ignore it like it's some event in the future, but to sit with things that are eternal. One of the things that we do here uh, regularly is the first Thursday of every month, we have a prayer meeting here. It's open to anybody. It goes from 7 until 8. We usually have it in the chapel, although we're moving it from the— this summer we're moving it to 306 upstairs, and we're going to sit around tables, and I've had all kinds of questions about, what do I do? I have to pray out loud? You know, just come. There's no music. There's, no, there's nothing fancy. We just come together for an hour and pray. And what we're doing in that hour is we're taking one hour out of our month to hold on to eternal things, to think about eternal things. So the next one's this Thursday. I invite you to come. Just sit with us for an hour as we think about eternal things. But I also... I also know that that at some point, if you're not there now, we we all grieve. And one of the ways that we can find healing in our grief is by grieving together. Uh, At Northbrook, we offer two groups for those that are grieving. One's called Grief Share, and another one is a group for widows. Those are both in our life group offerings this summer, so I invite you to, to check it out. But it's another way to grieve with hope, grieving with others. And so, a couple of just really simple next steps for this week. Create space in your life to consider eternal things. And when you grieve, grieve and embrace it, but do so as one who has hope. So God, we just pause for a moment and and consider these, these weighty words of the scripture. God, may we, may, not, may we not be ignorant. But may we also not grieve as those who have no hope. 
Each week that we come together, we are considering not only earthly things, but eternal things. And I know that in Christ, I will live with you forever. And while there are still so many questions that I have, so many fears and doubts and anxieties, I am slowly learning to befriend my death. Because I know it is the passageway into eternity with you. I also know there will come moments of our lives in which we will grieve. Some now sitting here are deep in grief. But we don't grieve like those who have no hope. We, we have hope. I'm grateful for hope. Now, oh God, would you walk with us this week? in the day-to-day, but also reminding us of eternity.